0: We're so glad that y'all have joined us online for worship today, and we're positive that God has something specifically to speak just to you. We want you to know that you are always welcome here at First Baptist Azle, and that you can connect with us by going online to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. Now let's hop back into the sermon and hear what God has for us today. Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin there today, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. I'm glad that you're here. It's a good day to be here. It's a great passage, um, and God has much to teach us today. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Stand with me as we read God's Word together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for these words. Help us through your spirit to understand them today and to apply them to this church and to our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, Shock and Awe. Shock and Awe. According to Wikipedia, shock and awe is a tactic based on the use of overwhelming power and spectacular displays of force to paralyze the enemy's perception of the battlefield and destroy their will to fight. So it's a military term. I'm Adapting it today uh, for a spiritual purpose, shock and awe. Maybe the most famous use of shock and awe was by the United States and its allies when they launched a massive aerial assault against Iraq on March the 19th of 2003. Many of you remember that well. Uh, Some of you weren't born yet, uh, amazingly, but uh, if you were around, you probably remember that. During the middle of the night, anti-aircraft fire could be seen rising in the skies above Baghdad. Within minutes, huge explosions began rocking the Iraqi capital. And in all, 250,000 bombs were dropped in the next 42 days. 250,000 bombs. And it was shock and awe, and it worked amazingly well. The campaign was intended to instill shock and awe among Iraq's leaders and military. Now I wonder today, have you ever had a shock and awe moment in your life where you were stunned, speechless, you didn't know what to do, shock and awe? Have you ever had that in your walk with God? In this passage, the church is brand new, and I mean brand new. It, it had started uh, that morning, <laughs> and so that's really new. Christ had, has at this point ascended. The Holy Spirit has now descended into the hearts of believers. Miracles were happening. Christ was reigning in his kingdom. The church was growing, and people were in awe of God. In fact, in this passage, if you go back and look at it again, verse 43 says, half of them were filled with awe. Is that what it says? No. Three quarters? Twelve? No. Everyone was filled with awe. I'm going to tell you something about amazing when we see this and when God sees this. In our churches throughout the world, every church has a certain level of shock and awe before their God. Every church is in awe of God to some extent. I hope that you are. I hope that we are here, or if you're watching online, I hope that your church is. Because if nobody is in awe of God in your congregation, that's a dead congregation. You're about to be thrown into the fire and better get your shock and awe back, or you're going to end, that, or that church is going to end. But in this passage, it doesn't just say that the faithful or the, the, the leaders of the church or the apostles of the church, it literally says, everyone was in awe. Now, I'm telling you, if everybody in this church or any church, if everybody is in awe, God will do amazing things. And that's what happened there. When was the last time you were in awe of God? Dictionary.com, and yes, that's a real website. Dictionary.com defines awe as an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear, produced by that which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful, powerful. Or the like. Let me say that again. Awe is defined as an overwhelming feeling. And, and, and the key word is overwhelming. You are overwhelmed. And we're going to look at this in a minute. We're going to see this. You are overwhelmed with a feeling of reverence and admiration and fear produced by that which is grand and sublime and extremely powerful. Again, when was the last time you were like that? When was the last time you were overwhelmed with God? A jaw-dropping, stunned, amazed, shocking moment. When was the last time? We have an obligation and an expectation from God to be in awe of Him. He has every right for us to be in awe of Him. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm chapter 32, 33 verse 8. He says, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Now notice he doesn't just say, let the, this is Old Testament, let the Israelites be in awe of God. Actually what he says is, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That tells me that God expects and has the right to expect all the inhabitants of the world, to be in awe of Him. When was the last time you were in awe of God? Well, I think a better question, uh, or a first question we should ask today is, what causes us to be in awe of God? What does it take? What does it take for God to sweep you off your feet, to shock you into a moment of submission or worship? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons today. One, we should be in awe when we see the work of God. We should be in awe when we see the work of God. And we see this all the time in our lives. Whether we realize it or not, we encounter it. I remember when my first child was born. Now, that's Gabrielle. She was the oldest and uh, Gabrielle's here. She doesn't like me talking about her, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. When I was in the operating room, I was not prepared emotionally or spiritually or any other way for what I was about to encounter. I, you know, I say I was a dumb kid. I was 34, 35, 35. Chris just had his first child, and and don't get me wrong, I I. I'm appreciative and and was in shock and awe of my second and third, uh, my two boys. But I'd already seen that. It was a rerun by then. And so, uh, but standing there, and Gabrielle was born. Now, to hear her take her first breath, to see that is difficult to describe. It's a shock and awe moment. I'll never forget it. uh, Now, by the way... (laughs) I I, I see little children running through the church and I think, where are your parents? (laughs) I still love children, but it's not quite the same as that shock and awe moment. I remember my first plane ride. Now, I've I've been on planes many times and most of my flights either go to to Europe or the Middle East or to Asia and all of those flights are extraordinarily long. You can only see so many clouds and mountains and and that sort of thing. and But I remember that first flight. It was 1987, uh, in June of 1987. I took a flight uh, from Dallas to Israel. I worked on a dig for my school for a class at Capernaum. And again, I'd never been on a plane before. It's really remarkable. If you've never been on a plane before, uh, you know, I sat by the window and I would, my eyes were glued outside that window for so much of the for hours in a flight watching the sun gleam on the top of the clouds on the top of the clouds you look down and see the top of the clouds that's extraordinary and by the way we are among the first century of people who ever gets who's ever gotten to see that what a privilege that is shocking on now many flights later I get on the plane and the first thing I do is close that window so I can sleep somewhere along the line I've kind of Lost my shock and awe. I remember the first few days I was married. I was 34 years old and young man, but an old bachelor. And I had been praying for years, and I mean praying for a wife. Not just a wife, the wife. I could get a wife. A wife is easy to find. The wife, that's tougher. I wasn't somebody that wouldn't leave me, and I wasn't somebody that had to put up all they have to put up with to be a pastor's wife. And to be married to a red-headed pastor at that. Uh-huh. And so I was 34 by the time I made, uh, got that deal happen. Made that deal happen. Deal, that's not a good word. I'm going to pay for that later. But the first few days I was married, you know what I did? I just kept looking. Oh, this sounds dumb. I kept looking at my hand and at my wedding ring. Now, it's just a plain old band. But I had looked at my ring and my my ring finger for years. And just imagining, uh, you know, one day there's going to be a ring on that. You know, uh, I I wouldn't have omitted it. (laughs) So, there you go. But looking at that ring, finally, look at there, I'm married. And every time I would look at Cherry, oh, she was so beautiful. Still is, by the way. Looked just like she did when I married her. And just that, that being together as a husband and wife, that was exciting. I don't stare at my ring as much anymore. I, I'm happy to be married, don't get me wrong. But, you know, this is how life is. And this is how our relationship with God is as well. We come to faith in Christ and there's this shock and awe moment when we realize, oh my goodness, my, every bad thing I've ever done has been forgiven by God. Oh my goodness, there's a purpose for my life. There's a reason that I'm here. There's a reason I can get out of bed in the morning and, and go through life. There's a, there, there's a hope that I have beyond this life that we're not just here and suffering and dying for nothing, that there's, there's a purpose and a hope to look forward to. I remember that, that joy of knowing that I was a child of God. Now, I still understand even deeper what that means today. But a lot of times we spend too much of our worship and our time talking about God and not really experiencing God. And so the shock and awe isn't quite there sometimes. We should be in shock and awe of God every time we see the work of God. I know I've shared this, but you and I live in an odd time. I mean, 2020, that's not what I mean. It's an odd year, but we live in an odd time. You know, we live in the first century in the history of the world, where if you wanted to see the seven wonders of the world, you can do that. Get on a plane and go do that. I've seen, and I don't travel as much as some people do, but I've seen just shockingly, stunningly beautiful things. Have you ever been in the Swiss Alps? Austrian Alps, oh my goodness you 've seen Grand Teton mountains wow, the the Grand Canyon, I remember the first time I ever saw the Grand Canyon now we we see it on the way to Disneyland. <laughs> we stop for an hour. yeah, there it is, oh, and off we go. Oh goodness, you know, there are so many amazing things just in this world, and we live in the first century. Where people have really been able to look through a telescope. And you and I don't even do that anymore. We just, we'll Google it. (laughs) We pull up the pictures from the Hubble. And we are able to see into the depths of space like no generation before us ever. We are able at our convenience to see stars and galaxies that scientists throughout the centuries could only speculate and guess and dream of. Uh, Some years ago, I think it was 1997, there was a movie that came out called Contact. And um, I I learned in the first service, after it was over, one of the members came up to me. It was uh, Jennifer June. Her husband, Chris, is a a producer. And she said, Lee, Contact was the very first movie he ever worked on. And uh, there's an opening scene of that movie where it just shows Earth and it pulls back from Earth. Now, other movies have done it since then, but I really like the way it is in Contact. Contact is the story about an atheist scientist, a lady who, uh, who doesn't believe in God. In fact, there is a, a character in the movie that is a man of faith, a person of faith. And so there's this kind of this, this tension between them throughout the movie because one believes in the other one doesn't. But there is a moment when the, the, what happened was they, they got contacted by some unknown source. They gave them instructions on how to build a device that, enable us to travel through the furthest reaches of the universe. And so she was chosen, the scientist was chosen to be that first astronaut in that capsule that went to another part of the, of the galaxy or the universe. And when she got there and she could see out the window and marvel at the universe in its majesty, all of her scientific uh, logic went out the window and she just began to cry. And she said, I had no idea, I had no idea it was so beautiful. People don't, we don't comprehend the majesty of God's works." Now in the first part of the movie, just to give us a little glimpse of scale, it shows a a tiny, tiny window into the size of the universe. And even though it's an old movie by now, uh, it's still a great scene. Half of this scene doesn't even have any music. You just marvel at God's creation for a few minutes. Watch this. So a you wanna with me, you gotta... Clearly, I've never been there, but Situation, obviously, a major malfunction. President, crook, but I'm not a crook. I'm a man. Robert Kennedy was shot. Has fired at President Kennedy. you come a communist or have you yes. ever been a member of no, never no, 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 a date which will live... Yes, and we continue the season's final edition of our Maxwell House Good News of 1930. Walter Wintles. good evening, Mr. North American. All the ships to sea, let's go to France. She told me that it took weeks and weeks to render that scene. It took them way longer to render that scene than it took God to create it all. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? So we should be in awe when we see the work of God. Jesus was traveling through a town in the Nazareth area. It was called Nain, N-I-A-N. There was a big crowd following him, and so there was kind of an impromptu procession, I won't say a parade, but a procession of Jesus, his disciples, and all the people following him as they were going through the town, and when they came near to the city gates, they had a collision, as it were, with another group of people, a traffic jam with a, a funeral. There was a large group of people having a funeral, and... Um, this particular funeral luke records is a a sadder than normal funeral now all funerals there is sadness and there's sense of loss but this funeral was uh from a young man who was the only child of his mother the only son and so she is obviously distraught because she's lost her only child And genealogies are important to you and I, perhaps, but they were far more important in the first century that you continue your family line. It's one of your responsibilities to your nation, and this was their only hope uh, of an offspring through the family. On top of that, the Bible says that she was a widow. Her husband had died, and that left the care of this widow to her son. And now he's died, and so there's nobody to care for the mother. So it's a very sad scene. And then on top of that, they're having this funeral procession. And then they, they come across or clash with the, the crowd that's following Jesus. She doesn't know or realize yet that any time that Jesus shows up at a funeral, it's a good funeral. <laughs> and so it's about to get a lot better. And, and uh, he tries to console her just for a moment or two. And then he just simply walks over to the casket. Well, let me read it for you. Luke chapter 7, verse 14 says this. Then he he went up and touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with what? Awe and praise God. I don't know what the two... Groups thought about the other group. You know, we have the right-of-way, you have the right-of-way. Or if it was awkward, I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you this. One group was thinking one thing. The other group was experiencing something completely different. But at that moment, they were all unified in the awesomeness of God. They were in shock and awe as they saw that corpse set up and start talking. The works of God should draw us to be in awe of God. Amen? So we should always be in awe when we see the works of God. Secondly, we should be in awe when we see the presence of God. We should be in awe when we see the presence of God. And this is my only other point, but it's so critically important And in some ways or in many ways, this is the most important point. The passage I want to use, and there are so many great passages about being in the presence of God and being in awe. Certainly, Noah hearing the voice of God in and, in and the presence of God, and you can just picture in the distance that that ark as a tiny boat in the far horizon, and there's nothing but water everywhere else, and the entire future of mankind is on that. Certainly, Moses and his calling, he sees the burning bush, he hears the voice of God. Certainly, as I shared a few weeks ago, Daniel, when he's in the lion's den, and the king calls out the next morning, Daniel, are you there? He said, yep, I'm here. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're standing in the fiery furnace, and the king looks in, and they're there, and there's a fourth person in there, and they're all just fine, standing in the fire. What a shock and awe moment, certainly unquestionably at the moment of the resurrection, the moment of the transfiguration with the inner group of disciples up on the mountainside that day and they see Jesus in all of his glory, certainly when Jesus ascends into heaven with his disciples standing there watching, certainly on that day of Pentecost when the, the, the people of God, the believers in Christ, are all gathered there. There's one church. It's one group of Christians. That's all there are in the world at this point. And they don't even know what's going on. Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit. They don't know what that means or what that looks like or how it's going to unfold. They don't know. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit descends upon them and they get it. There are miracles that start happening immediately and they are all in awe of God. How should we respond to God's awesome presence? Well, the passage I want to share with you this morning is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6. The prophet Isaiah, he he had this experience uh, like none other. I mean, what an amazing experience. He says in verse 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, How do we do that? How do we find ourselves in the presence of Almighty God? Because if we are, if we have a moment like this, it will change our life forever. How do we do that? How how do we come to this moment where there is creator and creation together? Well, the Bible actually tells us, This might surprise you a little bit, if you're waiting for God to show up, God is actually waiting for you and me. To show up. James 4.8 says it this way. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. That may be the greatest promise in the Bible. That may be the greatest promise in history. Because God is saying. If you will step close to me. If you'll come toward me. I promise. I'll come toward you. So you may be waiting on God. God's waiting on you and me. God says, I will be there for you. I will bring you into this moment between creator and creation if you will take the first step. God's not going to force you into his presence. That's judgment day. Until then, you and I have to choose to be in his presence. Come near to God. and He will come near to you. So how should we respond? Isaiah is having this Incredible moment. He's in heaven. He sees these weaned creatures, and we don't even know really what that is or what they are. There are, there are. there are beings in heaven other than just angels. These majestic creatures are there, and everybody is worshiping God around his throne. And Isaiah, being in the presence of God, suddenly there's a fly. I'm not going to have a mic-pins moment here. <laughs> If that lands on my head, you let me know because this is being televised. (laughs) Okay, where was? Golly. He's standing in the presence of God and so this worship service is taking place in heaven and he realizes I'm not qualified to be here. I I see the angels. I I see the seraphs. I see the throne. There's something that doesn't fit this picture you know when I was a kid there was this thing on Sesame Street you know one of these things is not like the other one of these things just does not belong well that was Isaiah's revelation at the throne room of God I don't qualify to be here he immediately becomes aware of his own sinfulness and his own unworthiness to be in that worship service before the throne of God and he says woe to me he says I'm undone I'm I'm dead. It's over for me because I can't see what I'm seeing. I I can't bear to watch it because I'm not qualified because I am unworthy. And he began aware of his own unworthiness and sinfulness before God. But he did respond. How should we respond to God's awesome presence? Well, here's what he says. Isaiah chapter 6 Send me. In case you missed it, he doesn't just experience the visuals of this moment. Isaiah can tell you what the voice of God sounds like. He heard God. He, He heard God speaking. What does God sound like? What a moment. And what does God say? You're right, Isaiah. You don't deserve to be here. Or how'd you get in? Was the back door unlocked? Or <laughs> why are you doing? Why are you here? He could have said whatever. Or he could have said to Isaiah, Isaiah, I know every dirty thing you've ever done. I know every sin in your life. Get out of here. But what does God say to him? He says, who will go for us? Whom? Whom shall I send? As though he's pondering. You know, we need somebody. We need an ambassador on earth. Who could it be? I wonder who, whoever could it be. (laughs) And Isaiah knows. He knows the call. And he says, here am I. You can send me. If you want to have a shock and awe moment in your life with your God, you take the first step. But look out, if you move toward God, God will move toward you. And the second thing is you, I can guarantee you, you will not be the same. God's going to call for a response. He's going to beckon you to do something with your life to bring him glory because you've been in the presence of God Almighty. So Isaiah did respond. There's a wonderful song. There are so many wonderful hymns I could share right now. So many songs. But this song says this about God. You are beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension like nothing ever seen or heard. I can tell you Isaiah would have said the same thing. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your love? You are beautiful beyond description. Majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. Pray with me. Father, we are asking for your help right now. To come into your presence. As our spirits and our hearts move toward you. You're there on your throne, high and lifted up. And we're aware we are not worthy to be in your presence, just like Isaiah. But there you are. Holy. The glory, your glory is shining all around. The angels, the angelic beings, they're all there. And we are aware of our unworthiness. Father, we ask and pray that you would forgive us. Oh, forgive us for those times that we have ignored your call. Forgive us for those times that we've come into church and we, we come in, we worship, we talk. We say our prayers and then we leave and we have not even pondered the the possibility that we've actually been in your presence. We come into your house and missed you and didn't realize it. Forgive us. Oh, Father, forgive us for wasting our life and our time on things that are just worthless. We are reminded that when Isaiah was before your throne, your majesty. He wasn't thinking about bills or politics or problems. He wasn't thinking about his aching back or his physical disabilities. He wasn't thinking about what he was going to do in the future or what house he's going to build or retirement he's going to have or what career he's going to have. He was thinking only that, oh my, I'm in the presence of my God. He's here. Thank you. We don't deserve to be here. It is by your mercy through the blood of Christ that we are in your presence now. No one's looking around as you're praying. You are in the presence of God. What are you going to do? Stand with me. Everybody stand as you pray. The song says, I stand, I stand in awe of you. So it makes sense that we stand. Right now, you worship your God. Well, thanks for joining us today online for our worship service. We hope that you are ministered and encouraged to while you're with us. And we just want to remind you that you can connect with us online by going to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. We hope to see you again next week.